Hey, before we start this episode, just want to remind you that the Fearless Woman's Guide to Starting a Business is available everywhere that you like to buy books, and you can get it in paperback, Kindle, and even as an audiobook. I'll have links on where you can purchase in the podcast notes. Okay, back onto the show. You are listening to One Broken Mom, a podcast dedicated to raising awareness about mental health, parenting, and self-improvement. I'm the host, Ami Quirconi. One Broken Mom is not a family show. It is intended for adults only and may contain adult language. Sometimes the topics are serious, but you can count on the episodes to be entertaining. Also, One Broken Mom is not offering any psychiatric or medical diagnosis. We're just here giving away useful and important information. So if you're ready to hear real talk by real people so that we can all get better together, then you're in the right place and welcome. Today I have with me a repeat offender. I've called her that before, so there's no shame in that. Her name is Jax Anderson, and she is the psychotherapist. Jax is a licensed professional counselor who has a clinic in Wisconsin called A Beautiful Journey, and she specializes in working with teenagers and their families, but as I had learned when I met Jax a few months ago, she has a real passion for also sports and sports psychology, and so she's back here today to talk about basically how to not fuck up your kids while they're playing sports and how to do some good things for them. So Jax, welcome back. Thank you, Ami. It's nice to be on. <laughs> I love how you say repeat offender. That's yeah. awesome. <laughs> well, I, I know that, um, you know, sports, you know, you and I are both athletes uh, or mm-hmm. grew up that way. Uh, you were a division one athlete. Is that correct? Like, correct. You, okay. And yeah. what was your sport of choice? Basketball. Awesome. Now Mm -hmm. I played basketball. I did track. I also played softball and you and I both can, can testify to the fact that getting your kids involved in sports and maybe not necessarily sports, but an extracurricular team oriented activity like band or debate or playing basketball or softball or track or whatever, it can be hugely positive, you know, on emotional Mm -hmm. development and so many things. You know, one of the things that I've told people that, especially as being a business owner myself and being a manager and, and leader and having employees is that, when you look back on sports, that being involved in that is teaches someone how to be coachable and being mm-hmm. able to receive constructive feedback from someone in order to get better at something and not have it come off as an attack or, you know, anything like that or, or you know, criticism. Mm-hmm. And so when you apply what you, um, what you see from that, you know, your coach says, Hey, you should do these kinds of things. And then you actually do them and then actually get, you get better. Then the other result is, is that it builds trust that the coaching mm-hmm. process actually does work, that somebody can give you feedback and you can apply it and, you know, you can improve from that. And you get to learn about working as a team. And, and then when I ended up going from, you know, being the, the high school athlete, I chose not to play or take any scholarships in college, um, mm-hmm. I could have gotten, I, I was offered some running scholarships, but I just wanted to get on with an engineering degree, but I was staying involved in sports and I started to actually become a coach volunteer for softball and basketball. And you get the experience of then knowing how to take a person, putting them in a position where they're going to be the most successful and fulfilled at that position. And that when you add all those together, then you get a strong team. And that's like a huge business asset to me mm-hmm. on, on doing that. And so all of that comes from you know, being involved in a team oriented and in particular a sports activity. But as you know, um, there is that dark side and we've all seen it, been a part of it. Um, The parent coaches 
that are just unrelenting with their kids. The asshole parent, sorry, mm-hmm. usually a dad that I've seen yelling at their son or daughter and calling out every mistake this poor kid is making when they're like 11 or 12 years old or younger or older. Or and my grandfather was this guy. He was the one that stood on the sidelines and yelled at every ref and every coach. Nothing was ever happy. And I was just mortified most of the mm-hmm. time, you know, while I was playing. And so there is this way that sports can you know, basically negate all the positives that we want out of it and just make it miserable. And I talk about childhood trauma, and I know that this is what you deal with with working with teens. And, you know, you can turn something that should be cool into a childhood trauma for a kid to have to deal with later in life. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. And so that's why, so that's why we're here. So mm-hmm. I want you to first let everybody know, let's talk about your experience in sports and why it's led you to having this passion for helping other kids and families. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So I, as you said before, I was a basketball player. I played basketball. Oh man, I think my parents signed me up in second grade. And after going through all the tap and gymnastics and ballet and all this other stuff that I really was not good at because I was growing so fast, uh, they signed me up for basketball and I took to it and I really enjoyed it. So I stuck with it amongst, I played other things. I did, I tested out volleyball and softball and all that stuff, but basketball really was my love. And in high school, I, you know, as a freshman, I made some, upper level teams. And then when I got to college, I had the full scholarship. And in high school, of course, the competition got tougher. And the pressure was on to play well and to win. But when I got to college is when it became a job. And playing at a Division One level is no joke. It is a job. And this college or the universities expect you to uh, perform at top level all the time. And yes, they have the support available for their athletes, but back when I was playing, they didn't have the mental health support available. It wasn't as prominent as it is now. You Now you'll see sports psychologists working with Division One, a lot of Division One schools and professional teams, but there aren't a lot of sports psychologists or sports coaches on the mental health side working with younger athletes. I'm talking about middle school or high school or even with as young as seven years old in some of these club teams. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I'm so passionate about it is because when I was in college, I got injured and I injured my back. Pretty typical injuries were happening all the time because we we're playing. We're playing so much in such a high level, and when I injured my back, I was um, pretty upset about it emotionally. And my body physically healed, but emotionally, I wasn't ready to go back to that "quote unquote" job at such an intense high level. Uh, I was far away from home. I was all the way in South Carolina and I'm from Wisconsin. So I was far away from home. I didn't have a lot of support, although I had friends there. I could have used a coach as far as a counselor to help me really just uh, process through some of the trauma from being injured, the fear of being re-injured and improving my mental discipline to help me get through practices and organize my life at that time. So that's why I'm so passionate about helping younger athletes learn that even before they get to college, if they're going to play in college, learn that mental discipline, learn how to 
focus themselves and even process some sports injuries that have occurred or the fear of having a sports injury occur or even uh, say a traumatic experience happened with an overly emotional asshole parent Mm -hmm. and that embarrassed them and they don't ever want to play again because they were embarrassed in front of a bunch of people at age 13 and forget baseball. I don't want to play that anymore because I don't want that to happen again. As a sports coach on the mental health end of the deal, I can help kids and parents process through that and get back to performing and having fun. So yeah. that's why I'm so passionate about what I do. Yeah. The fun piece is, I mean, that's huge. I, I, I mean, again, that's what we want for our kids. That's what mm-hmm. we sign them up to it. I mean, I think that there are parents out there that sign their kids up because they're hoping that it's like their golden ticket, you know, and yeah. that's the, you know, and I have another, um, uh, another person that I talk to, you know, quite a bit and we, we deal like in the realm of narcissism and there is that narcissism that's in there of throwing everything at a kid, you know, to, to, to support them sports wise, but it just robs them, you know, of any of their autonomy and identity and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but I know that, you know, I signed my kids up because I just wanted them to run around and have some fun, you know, and right. when it's not fun anymore, it's like, it sucks for everybody there, but yeah. not everybody kind of views it that way. You know, I, I remember myself, you know, I loved basketball, but I didn't play my senior year in high school because the coach was really, uh, just, you know, I don't want to call him a jerk. I mean, because I, I just don't like throwing names around, although mm-hmm. we did call somebody an asshole earlier and that happened. <laughs> Um, but I, but I, the, the, the way in which the coaching happened was so negative and hostile that I was just like, man, I love this sport and I'm going to continue playing, but I'm just not going to play for you. Like, I'm just not even going to do it. So I, you know, took my senior year off, which was disappointing to myself because I did love the sport, but I just couldn't mentally show up and do that and then have to tolerate being around a human that his coaching style was by screaming and yelling and punishing Mm-hmm. You know, it's, you know, um, so one thing that we see, you know, again, we want to make sure that when, when parents are putting their kids out there and they're signing up for sports, let's talk about the, let's talk about the parents spectator mm-hmm. and what are some of the things that parents need to kind of keep in check when they're, when they're going to get that kid out there maybe they're kindergartners. I mean, you signed up in second grade, you know, a lot of kids actually start running around at like five or six years old. What are some of the things they're going to have to kind of keep in mind when they throw their five-year-old out there and they're playing soccer, you know, or, you Mm -hmm. know, any other sport Mm -hmm. and and to be a good parent for those kids? I think the, you, you nailed it before when you said communicate about having fun. I think the number one thing for parents to tell their kids, especially at that age, like we're going to do this, we're going to sign you up for soccer. And the number one thing is to have fun. I tell my daughter that constantly. She's seven years old and she's tried lots of different sports. And right now she really likes that ninja warrior stuff. So (laughs) she's doing these ninja warrior classes. And every now and then, I mean, I I don't lecture her, but every now and then I'll say to her, you know, hey, what's the number one thing we're going to do at Ninja tonight? And she'll say, have fun. And, you know, I ask her afterwards, did you have fun, babes? And she's, yeah, I had fun. And then she might tell me some other stuff that went on. But I really think it's important for parents, especially with kids at that age, is to communicate having fun. But also then for you as a parent to have fun on the sidelines. So you're cheering, you're modeling, having fun. Wow, it was really fun to watch you play. It looked like you were having fun out there. I had fun 
enjoying the game. I really, and then let them see you smile. Let them see you having fun. Let them see you cheering and not criticizing and not yelling and not saying, chase the ball, go faster, do this. Let the coach do the coaching, the coaching, and you just do the having fun, especially with the kids at that age. It's so important. Okay. And now you talked about, you know, club teams and the club teams do start picking up. I know. It's like, oh my gosh. (laughs) Right. You know, back in my day, there weren't any club teams. Yeah. When I just said everything I just said, I was talking about like rec. Right. YMCA. I was the YMCA. I was not talking about club teams. That is a different monster. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. I know. And my, my daughter, like I encouraged her to go out for, you know, several sports in middle school and you know, to me, it's like when you go out for sports in middle school, it, you know, that kind of, you should, everybody should make the team. It's a public program, right? Mm-hmm. But now because she didn't play any club programs in anything, she didn't even have a chance. Like, right. I mean, they were just kind of like, if you haven't even been on a club team, you're, you're not going to make the team day yeah. one at tryouts. And so she was just like, oh my gosh. So we did find her a club team, like a lacrosse club to play in. And she's like latched onto it, but it was like disappointing to go, are you, you gotta be kidding me here. Like I've right. got to get my kids started like that soon. Like what happened to YMCA and the, you know, the city rec league that they had in the summertime to sign up. And, you know, it was basically the, the babysitting your parents signed you up for, right? Yeah, to, exactly. On a team. Right. Exactly. And that doesn't, um, and so oh, what you've been your experience working with these, you know, club kids, <laughs> So the club, the club, oh man, um, this is a rated R episode. Yeah. Is that correct? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the club teams, what you said is one side of the coin. So these kids in middle school go out for the team and all the club team members get on the team because they've all been playing. Or what also happens is students, student athletes, such as your daughter, will go out, who aren't playing on the club teams, will go out for the middle school team. But all the club team members don't go out for the public school team because they're busy playing club and they like it better. They feel they want to travel more. They don't want to be on such a, you know, low class public school team. So then the public school team, instead of having 15 members on its volleyball team, they end up with four. They don't even have enough for a team because none of the athletes that you know, play the sports or even going out for it because they're all busy with the club team. So there's two sides to that coin. And I don't want to come down too hard on club teams because I know there are some very good club teams out there that do take care of their athletes and do uh, mind these matters that we're about to talk about. But I do want to come down on those club teams that are just businesses. They're just like machines that are running these athletes through the system, running them ragged with hopes and dreams and promises about getting that scholarship. And it's just a business. I wish that parents would understand that these club teams, they're just businesses. This is not about them actually securing a full scholarship for your student athlete. I think the statistic is maybe 5% of all student athletes get a full scholarship, Mm -hmm. which is like incredibly low odds, but parents are blowing their kids college, their kids college fund on paying for these club teams, which they're asking a shit ton of money and they're getting it. Mm -hmm. People are, there are, business owners of these club teams that are getting rich 
off of parents hoping that this is it for their kid. Mm-hmm. And they're traveling, they're exhausted. Parents and the student athletes' relationships are suffering because every weekend is consumed with traveling and sports. The kids are limited in their social activities, so sport becomes their world, and that's all they know. And they have that one thing that they're good at, and they have that one thing that um, they're valuable. They, they, they feel that their value comes from being good at this one thing. Mm. So they miss out on homecomings. They miss out on, you know, the kids having a bonfire every weekend in their parents' backyard. And one kid gets in trouble because he brings vodka to the bonfire. Like they, the drama of that isn't happening for their kid because they're traveling and they're tired and they're exhausted and they're playing month after month, week after week, year after year. And that's all they grow up knowing. And that's very dangerous. Yeah. Well, anybody's mental health and well, you, talk about your, you talk about your injury, right? I mean, yeah. I, I'm sitting here as you're talking about it. I go, and that's what sets that kid up that when they twist their knee. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then, but they have no value anywhere else in their life no. because it was all banked on this one thing. And then they twist their knee and then they're devastated. Uh-huh. You know, they're devastated because now they don't identify as a volleyball player anymore. Mm-hmm. I was a volleyball player. Who am I without volleyball? And now they're, 14, 15 years old, they don't have friends except in volleyball, but they don't get volleyball anymore. And that's their identity. And now they're just sitting on the sidelines or riding the pines and watching all of their friends get better and better, knowing that they can't play. And boom, major depression sets in, Mm -hmm. major anxiety sets in. And then because they haven't had a combination of all these other aspects of life, They don't know how to use positive coping skills to manage that depression. They don't know how to identify what's going on. And what do they, what do kids at that age do when they have major depression? They start self-harming. They might experiment with drugs or alcohol, all, all, any number of things. Yeah. Yeah. Kids that are talented. And I've I've ran into this, you know, when I was coaching and stuff like that, you do see that, that 5%, right? Mm -hmm. And so you've got the kid that actually does have a shot at it. How do they survive the (laughs) club experience? You know what I mean? And not come out, you know, kind of like traumatized at the end of all of that. Right. Well, I've got news for everybody that college recruiters don't look at just club teams. For their athletes. <laughs> like they actually still look at high school, public high school, private high school programs. They still, they still go to the tournaments. They still look at those games. You can still submit your tapes. You can still, you don't have to be on a club team to get a college scholarship or to even get looked at by a college recruiter. I think that the kid who's going to make it survives has probably uh, better support from parents. Probably parents aren't coaching them. Uh, parents have hired other coaches or trainers to coach and train them. Parents have allowed them to have some diversity in their social skills and have extracurricular activities outside of the sport. You know, some of these athletes who do make it, you'll hear about they also play an instrument or they also sing or they're also a part of, you know, a national honor society or math club or being in an engineering club. They've got other gifts and talents that they're aware of as well, but they choose to spend their time playing sports because they have fun and they, it's their passion. They want to do it. Yeah. 
that's a, and you just, you know, a big word right there, which is choice. Um, mm-hmm. Because I think I, you, you do see, I, w- I was reflecting on, there was a gal that I went to high school with. She was a few years younger than me. And she was a talented swimmer. Her dad was a swimming coach and she was, you know, even as like a freshman, she was faster than all the, the, the boys on the team. I mean, mm-hmm. she was an Olympic prospect, but man, you could see it in that girl's face. It was exhausting for her. You know, yeah. I mean, it was the only thing that she really ever did and stuff like that. And it, it didn't look like all the time it was what she would have chosen to do for herself. She happened to be born gifted, you know, mm-hmm. it, with a, a sport talent. And the parent then comes in and says, you're giving, you're, you know, you're giving this up, you're blowing it. I mean, those are all the words and the guilt that they use on these, you know, on kids mm-hmm. to get them to, to continue to pursue something so heavily so how does, you know, what point does a parent wake up, you know, and should start to sit there and make this about the kid choosing? Because parents are like, well, I need to tell them what they don't know right now. And they don't know what I know, which is if they kept doing this, they'd be really good at it or, you know, whatever it is. And so they're, we're using our future vision to try to, you know, direct the kid because they lack that. But that may not be what's going to be best for the kid. I mean, exactly. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I make a lot of assumptions about life, but I'm not perfect at it here. Right. But I look at it like, it seems like what I know now is that that's probably not a good idea. Like if the kid was born that way, great. But if they don't want to do it, mm-hmm. we, can't, we can't force it onto them without having some repercussions for that. True? Exactly. We, absolutely. You're going to, if you're forcing this onto anyone, but especially a kid, there are going to be repercussions. We have to remember as adults, we are operating with a fully developed brain. I mean, most of us are, right? <laughs> there probably right. are those. I have a whole podcast people. show about how that's not always true, but I, I know in theory, yes, you are correct. <laughs> okay, so let's, in theory, let's just say as adults, we're operating with a fully developed brain, a full functioning brain. We're using all parts of it. The adolescent stage of development is from age 12 to 25, and adolescents are not using their entire brain because biology just hasn't developed it yet. It's not the adolescent's fault. It's not their fault that they're not using their whole brain. It's just they don't have access to it yet. It's still developing. So it is really easy for adults to see what adolescents can't see because we're using a fully functioning brain. We have access to all its parts. Adolescents don't. They're very impulsive. They're very in the moment. They're very, they they don't think about consequences ahead of their actions. They can't rationalize and reason the way that we can as adults. And, And so they're very emotional. So when we push and push and push and we try and tell them, now is the time for you to train. Now is the time for you to get better because you're going to be happier, you're going to be better down the road. If you don't do it now, you won't get there. Now's your shot. By pushing and pushing and pushing, all they all they hear is they're not good enough, that they can't do it, that they don't they, that they're not going to be what they want to be. And nobody is listening to them about what they want. They're not getting a break. They're not getting the specific encouragement that they need in that moment. And maybe they're just tired. Any, any horse person, I'm going to use a horse metaphor here. Any horse person understands that when you have a horse that's working, so you're, you have a plowing horse or you have a cutting horse if you're in a rodeo or your dressage or your jumper or whatever you are, 
all those horse people understand that the horse knows their job, but the horse still needs to be a horse. They still turn their horse out to the herd and let them be a horse so that they remember that they are a horse. And then they bring them in and they train some more. And then they turn them out and they get to be a horse. Well, teenagers, okay, they're not horses, (laughs) but they need to be allowed to be a teenager too. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's a matter of asking your teen, hey, I've noticed that you're getting, you look really tired. It, you know, are you swimming too much? Maybe we need a break. Like, let's not do swimming for like three weeks. And do you want to do something else? Or do you want to just sit around and Netflix? <laughs> like, right. What do you want to do for three weeks? Maybe we just need a break. And then let's reassess after three weeks and see how you're feeling. Teenagers need that too. Let them be a kid. Right. And I I guess that maybe some parents should consider that just because they were born with an athletic talent, that does not mean that is what they were born to do. Exactly. You know, and I think that... Yeah. And I think that that's probably the, you know, the mis- or the, the mistake that some parents make is like, well, gosh, they're just so good at it. Or they were born and they're going to be six foot two. You know, my daughter's going to be six two. She has to be a basketball player. She has to be a, you know, whatever it is. But that's, that's not, that's just not true. Like that's one no, of the biggest myths and falls, you know, yeah, fallacies yeah. in life. It, it is. And one of the most heartbreaking things that I hear from student athletes that I work with is I don't want to play basketball anymore but I don't want to let my mom or dad down. They really want me to play and they really like watching me play and I don't want to let them down. So I'm going to keep doing it even though I don't like it. That is really hard to hear. Yeah. And it's really hard for that team to continue doing that. They don't have to choose to do that, but they don't feel like they have a choice with parents that are too pushy. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the things that, you know, I I mentioned this, uh, you know, earlier, I think I'm going to call this childhood trauma because Mm -hmm. it's one of the forms of trauma that we experienced and we end up doing to our kids. And and when we're talking about, you know, trying to get the the dialogue out there of saying, these are the kinds of things that happen to us and that we can be doing to our kids that actually have these longer term effects on them. You know, Mm -hmm. not having that choice, not being heard, not being understood or valued or that, you know, that opinion mattered to them at that point in time, that's the kind of shit that builds up and, Mm -hmm. you know, and ends up hurting us later as adults and having, you know, some of our other ongoing issues that we have. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, one of the things that, again, we go back to the asshole parent and we've all been there on the sidelines where you just, I mean, I've, I've stopped myself short of just walking up and starting a fight with somebody because I'm just so tired of hearing them yelling at their kid and watching this child. I mean, this child being just humiliated by their own parent Mm -hmm. out on a a field, you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, short of starting fistfights, which is not condoned. That's not the behavior I want to model for my other kids and stuff. But, you know, how do we handle that when we see that happening? Like as another parent, is there a good way to, to deal with that, with the, the parent that's out there screaming and yelling? Yeah, right. I, uh, yes, there's a good way. I want to, first of all, validate and empathize with you that desire to beat the shit out of that <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> because I I've been there. <laughs> Yes, I've been there. Many parents have been there. I get that question a lot. Uh, it is very, very, very difficult to watch. But the worst thing... Uh, uh, anybody can do that's watching this unless you have already 
uh, good rapport with that particular parent and a relationship with them, I wouldn't interfere in the moment because it will cause a fight and it'll be worse for everybody. So one of the things that I recommend is, you know, just walk away. If everybody can just walk away from that parent and that parent then is just kind of standing on an isolated island all by themselves, they look even more like the asshole sports sanity parent than if there's a bunch of people sitting around them because nobody's support the isolation, nobody's supporting. We're all, we have all left you. So that's a really good way to in the moment handle it. Uh, embrace silence. And, and what I mean by that is don't be the asshole parent. Don't be, uh, don't step up the passive aggressiveness to manage that asshole parent that is yelling and criticizing and being a judgy judge. Uh, the quieter you are, the louder and more annoying that parent sounds. One of the things that I do encourage parents to do is just continue to appropriately cheer, you know, good job, you've got this, you know, you could, um, like the passive aggressive route would be everything that sports sanity parent is saying, you counter with a positive comment towards that kid, which I can see why people would want to do that. But um, remember, it's about the student athlete, how is that student athlete going to feel? And what kind of hell are you creating for that student athlete on the drive home with that asshole parent? Mm -hmm. As they complain about the passive aggressive, good intentioned <laughs> other parents sitting in the bleachers. So I just encourage the walk away, embrace silence in the moment. Afterwards, um, you know, when the, the venue is different, say, for example, if there's a picnic or there's an outing, a lot of these club teams or these teams, they do some events off the field too. Like they'll have, you know, they'll go to a restaurant after the game or whatever. Talk to some of the other parents that you have relationships with. You know, just mention, you know, it's kind of, it's sometimes hard to listen to. I understand that they're, you know, they're really invested and it is emotional watching a sporting event. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I watch my husband every Packer game get emotional sitting in our living room. You know, like, I don't, I don't get it really how you can be that, that invested in a professional game. But I understand when I'm at a sporting event myself, because we go to local volleyball games and basketball games for high schoolers here. It is emotional, like, you know, like, oh, man, come on, come on, that three-pointer, I hope it goes in. You know, it's a very emotional thing. So I understand it can get out of control very easily, and you can cross that line. It's a slippery slope. Uh, but talk to some of the other parents and kind of feel out how they're feeling. And then maybe if there's a few people who could appropriately uh, address it with the coach, maybe make an appointment, address it with the coach, see what kind of co advice the coach gives you if they're aware of it, uh, which probably they are. And if there's anything they can do, any recommendations they might give you, maybe they know something about the situation already that's being done and you don't have to do anything. Mm -hmm. you know, kind of feel it out that way and before you, you know, approach that particular sports sanity asshole parent, which needs to be approached eventually by somebody. Yeah. Yeah. I think the, the, sometimes I look and I see some of these folks and I, I don't know that you can't actually say anything to them for them to open their eyes and realize what a jerk they are. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like some people just, and they, they get uh, defensive, you know, mm -hmm. and I know one of the teams that I've seen this happen, the coaches are like right out of high school. 
I mean, they, they don't have any, you know, clout with, mm-hmm. you know, this 30, 40 year old out there who knows mm-hmm. everything. Is there anything I can do as a parent for that child out there? Cause that's where my heart is. My mm-hmm. heart is in this kid who, you know, and you, you see the behavior. So, you know, I'm talking to, you know, my daughter and stuff and, and typically the one who's getting screamed at by our parents also tends to be the one that's most difficult to deal with as a teammate. Mm-hmm. You know, they, in terms of being, um, egotistical or really critical of the other players on the team. I mean, it's like, it's passed down. You see that, you know, it, it's like, I'm being, you know, bullied by my dad and now I'm going to turn around and bully everybody else on the team and be, yep. you know, completely terrible. And, and, and I, you know, always have to tell my daughter, I'm like, would you feel really good if you're, you know, if I stood on the sidelines and screamed at you like that all the time, mm-hmm. you know, it made make you feel that way. So I tried to teach her that empathy there, but is there anything that I can do for this girl that doesn't undermine her parents' relationship and role, but then doesn't leave her feeling, you know, like a piece of shit, which clearly looks like she does sometimes. Right. Absolutely. I think if there's any opportunities that you have where you run into her one-on-one, you know, you can say, Hey, I just want to let you know that I love to watch you play. I think you're an amazing athlete, you know, and just tell her honestly how you feel. Encourage your daughter to, you know, maybe say to her, I know it's, it's gotta be really hard to play when your parents are yelling like that. I, is there anything I can do for you? Or, you know, um, I'm just, or just let her know that she's there for her if she needed something. I know it's hard to deal with a teammate who's egotistical and hard on the other team, hard on the other team members because their parents are that way. But that's exactly what she's doing is she's, she can't talk to her parents about it. And that's the behavior that's being modeled for her. So she's taken it out on her team members. Granted, she has a choice, but she doesn't feel like she has a lot of support. So imagine what the car ride home is like for her. Mm-hmm. To her parents, um, probably talk not so nicely about her coaches and her teammates. And, you know, so it's, it's very difficult. I think if you approached her just saying, hey, I love to watch you play. You're doing a great job. Keep up the great work kind of just give her that positive reinforcement that she probably isn't getting from her parents would be beneficial to her. You're at least planting a seed. Mm -hmm. As far as the parent goes, you know, unless the parent is really um, being, has crossed the line and you would know as verbal or emotional abuse towards one of those coaches or towards their own child, um, then definitely maybe then is the time to step in, but a more appropriate manner and maybe with somebody else, you know, cause otherwise you're right. They're just going to get defensive and scream. But if there's a way that they can be asked to leave by a referee or an umpire or, you know, a couple other parents that are just like, Hey, let's go for a walk. Let's cool down. Mm-hmm. That would be beneficial as well if it's really gotten to that point. Because there is no reason that other people watching the sporting event have to deal with that as well. Right. And that's, you know, I've encouraged so many of these. So when I researched these club teams, let's go back on Reagan about the club teams, guys, because that's <laughs> fun. Um, <laughs> so many of these club teams that I've researched and I've looked up, and I won't name the ones, but it's they don't have any procedures or policies in place to protect these kids from any 
abuse from any verbal or emotional sports sanity behavior. They have nothing in place on how to handle these parents to support the team members or even to support these coaches that suffer with these parents kind of trying to take over and telling the coaches what to do. So what I have, when I talk to parents, I encourage them, start getting a a bunch of parents together and get some signatures, put together a contract, something that all the parents in this club team can sign that basically says, I agree to behave this way. And if I'm not, I'll get, a, I'll get, you know, come up with whatever rules. First, they get a warning. So they get an opportunity to get their shit together. And second is they have to leave. They have to leave the game for a certain amount of time before they can come back because that sports sanity asshole parent isn't just traumatizing their own child. They're traumatizing all the kids. Mm-hmm. They're traumatizing the coaches. They're traumatizing some of the other parents. There are several situations where um, women have come to me, mothers of some of these kids, and they're crying and shaking and upset because the guy down the bleacher from them that was yelling at that guy's own kid reminded them of their father or reminded them of a situation that triggered them. It, mm-hmm. it activated all the trauma that they had. That guy doesn't need to yell that way. So it's, it's just, it's a toxin that's just spreading in youth sports and it's got to stop. Yeah. I think, it, it, I mean, a hundred percent agree. And I, I wonder, I, you know, out loud, cause I can, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> if, we just seem to remove any kind of boundary or barrier because it happens to be sports to Mm -hmm. our behavior. Mm -hmm. And I'm, you know, meaning that, right. We all get just crazy emotional. We scream and yell. It's intense, Mm -hmm. you know, while we're engaged in, in sports, it gets our own adrenaline kind of going and, you know, even if we, if we're not playing and stuff and that just erodes, you know, whatever filter we might actually place on our mouths in the course of normal life like mm-hmm. you, you know, I, I can't imagine, I hope it's not the case that, you know, asshole dad walks around and yells at everything the kid does like about their math homework or about the room or about right. the tennis shoes or, you know, I want to think that, you know, that there's some normalcy to life, but somehow that filter just kind of pops off because it happens to be a sporting event. And mm-hmm. that some people believe that th- that's the moment that it's okay to scream and yell when to a kid Screaming and yelling is screaming and yelling. I mean, right. whether it's at home or it's out on a sports field, it still feels the same. It still generates fear and, and you know, sadness and anxiety, you know? Yep. yep. And people will tell me all the time, what, whatever, it's just part of the game. It's part of the game. It's part of the game. Like they think that, that screaming and yelling and being emotional like that is just like, that's part of it. That's, part of being at a sporting event, except it's gotten out of control. I can remember so many times playing basketball in middle school, high school, and even in college, you know, it, it, to a certain degree, it is part of the game. When I shot an air ball, they would chant air ball. Okay. You know, that's, that's part of the game, you know, (laughs) or if I tripped and fell and somebody from the, you know, opposing team's crowd, some kid was yelling, Hey, clumsy, blah, blah, blah. Okay. That's, that's part of the game. What we're talking about here is these, these people, coaches or parents, adults that are yelling tactical and instructional comments in a very aggressive manner with this very frustrating 
and uh, critical and judgmental emotional look on their face. That's what we're talking about here. At children. Right. At At children. children. Right. Not another adult. No, no, no. no. Monday night football, but at little kids or even teenagers are still kids. Right. Yes. Yes. This isn't part of the game. This isn't chanting air ball. This is verbal and emotional abuse. There I said it. Yes, Yes. it is. It is. It's verbal and emotional abuse. Yeah. And it has to stop. And they don't get free reign to do this because it's fucking part of the game. Yes. It's an excuse for being an asshole is what it is. Right. Absolutely. You hit it. So the other asshole that we can run into in this world is when parents become the coaches. And this one is I've seen amazing. (laughs) I've seen amazing parent coaches. Mm-hmm. And then I've seen ones that are not that amazing. And mm-hmm. it's, it makes it really questionable and confusing for a kid when they are supposed to love you and adore you and, and your parents are supposed to be supportive of you. And then they turn around and they are your biggest critic on everything that you do. Right. So right. Um, how, do we, how do we go about coaching our kids and not fucking them up at that point in time too? Because parents go out to coach because they're like, I love it. I love the sport. This is a chance for me to be with my kid and we share this great thing together. And, you know, I loved it when I was growing up and all this other stuff. But there is a fine line between, you know, being parent and being coach and, and whether or not your kid can actually tell the, t- the two apart. Right. I, I say to parents... And, and this is where, you know, some people are going to disagree with me on this and that's okay that it, everybody's got a different opinion. But I say, if there's a way for you not to coach your kid, don't coach your kid. Yeah. Just don't coach your kid. You can coach, like if you have a kid who's in third grade and you want to share this soccer experience with them and you want to coach them, I totally understand that. And there are, you're right, Ami, there are some amazing parent coaches out there, but I still think don't coach your own kid. You can share the soccer experience. You can share your joy in, you know, you played soccer, your kids playing soccer, they really love it. You can train with your kid outside of coaching them in a game or practices. You can go do your own thing with them. You can give them, you can be their parent. You're either their parents who plays soccer with them or you're their coach. I just think being both, is just too difficult at those young ages. It's just too, it's just too enmeshed Mm -hmm. because how do you really truly separate it? Mm -hmm. How do you really truly give your kid the coaching that you are capable of when, when they're your kid and how does your kid receive that coaching from you when all their other, they're trying to make friends with all the other teammates and all the other teammates are looking at them in a certain way because their coach's kid. There's so many different aspects about coaching your own kid rather than just your relationship with your kid that you have to consider when you take on a challenge like that. So I just tell parents, just don't coach your own kid. Coach another third grade team that your kid might play against, but you still have that, you know, you get the coaching experience, you're helping your kid outside of, um, practices and games and another person coaches your kid and you don't have to worry about being coach and parent, but you both can share in the joy of playing soccer. Yeah. 
Yeah. So what if that's not an option? You know, what if they're, you know, what if you're coaching because nobody's volunteered to coach and that happens right. quite a bit too. Mm-hmm. Um, or from a practical standpoint, you're like, I, I don't want to split up as a family on the weekend with kid traveling over here and me over here with another mm-hmm. team and, and all that other stuff. What's a good balance for somebody that, cause I, I, you know, I will have some parent coaches that'll come up and go, I've done this great. I feel like we've had, we've done it mm-hmm. well and successfully and stuff. What is a successful version of that look like? Right. So then I would definitely, if you're coaching your kid, I would definitely maybe talk to some friends or family members who you have good rapport with, good relationship with, and, you know, engage them in kind of uh, this observatory role where they call you on your shit if you get out of control. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, yeah, right. if, you're, the line. <laughs> if you're crossing the line, they come up to you and they're like, hey, this is what I observed. This is, you know, what you asked me to do. And I'm telling you, like, maybe that was crossing the line. And then be receptive of that observation, of that feedback that you're getting. Uh, make sure you have a conversation with your child and be very clear that, you know, when we're at practice and when we're at games, I'm in coach mode. You're not going to play more because I'm your parent. You're not going to play less because I'm your parent. When we're there, I'm your coach. I want you to call me coach. I don't want you to call me mom or dad. And when, as soon as we step off the field, then I'm mom or dad. And when you're on the field, treat your child just like you would treat any of the other team members. And then when you're off the field, make sure that you're communicating. Did you have fun? It was awesome to watch you. It looked like you were having so much fun. I love watching you play. But then when you're coach, be in coach mode. Mm-hmm. If, if your child has an injury during the game, don't switch into mom or dad mode. Have somebody there who, who can be there once, you know, of course, go to, you know, just like you would go to an injured athlete on the field and you would carry them off the field, you would help them, but then hand them over to your partner who's supporting you and they nurture and do the parent thing while you get back to coaching the game and then check in on them later. Really draw a firm line down the middle and maintain that boundary. And check in with your kid every now and then. Hey, how am I doing as far as keeping this boundary? Are you feeling good? You feeling like, you know, I'm coached during the games. You feeling like I'm doing a good job as, you know, keeping that separate. How are you feeling? And then let them tell you and listen to what they have to say. Hmm, that's good. Mm-hmm. So if you are, because I, I think we're going to kind of migrate here with the conversation, because sure. we think about coaching in, in general, you know, the aspect of coaching, especially people that coach children and teenagers. Like I said, I had terrible experiences with coaches that were abusive coaches, you know, Mm -hmm. no different than the parents screaming and yelling on the sidelines. You've got this, you know, gentleman out there screaming and yelling at, you know, teenagers and middle schoolers, you know, what do you, what, what's advice that you have for coaching styles that are not only effective at teasing out positive results out of the athletes, but at the same time also don't end up traumatizing them. I mean, we're all familiar with, you know, the coaches in college that everybody loves to hate, you know, for and throwing the temper tantrums and the chairs and, you know, right. whatever it is um, out there. And maybe that's better at the college level or less impactful. And, and I'll let you tell me if that is or not. But mm-hmm. at the middle school, grade school, high school level, I just, I don't feel like that's a, there's a place for that, that the coaching style has got to be different. What does that coaching style look like? that is good for the emotional development of this human being that's 
out there happens to be playing sports? Mm-hmm. Well, I think any coach coaching grade school, middle school, or high school needs to have some emotional stability. <laughs> you know, well, like, damn. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you just have to have emotional stability. And now granted, we're all human beings. We're having a human experience in this incarnation on earth. And, you know, we're not perfect and you're not meant to be perfect. So our coach is going to be frustrated. Of course they are. Is it okay to express that frustration? Of course it is. But express it without being emotionally and verbally abusive. Don't take it out on your athletes. Your behavior is your choice. Your words are your choice. If your basketball player uh, fouls out within the first 10 minutes of a game, is that frustrating? Of course that's frustrating. Is there something going on? Absolutely something is going on. Is it beneficial to you, your team, the athlete in question to lose your shit and stomp your feet and throw a chair and scream and yell and spit in their face while you're yelling? I don't mean like purposely spitting, but like, you know, spraying everywhere. Is that beneficial? No, that is you losing your shit, losing control, and you're choosing to do that. That athlete didn't make you lose your shit. You chose to lose your shit. And the question has to become, if a coach is losing their shit because of an athlete's mistake or behavior, then who's really got the problem? In my opinion, the coach has the problem. So is it okay for a coach to say, hey, you need to come out of this game because something's going on with you? You're going to sit down right there. You're going to watch the rest of the game and we're going to have a conversation later. Your behavior is very disappointing to me and I'm extremely frustrated, but we're going to talk about it later because we're going to help you. Like come from a more supportive role. Certainly you want to model frustration appropriately, how to appropriately be frustrated and pissed and how to appropriately manage that frustration and anger. That's a coach's job, not just to create great athletes, but to create athletes who can manage their emotions during game. If during a coach can't, yeah, yeah, if a coach can't do that, how are the athletes supposed to do that? Right. And do you think it's probably, I mean, I liked your idea of having, you know, somebody check you if yes. you're the parent coach, mm-hmm. you know, and having somebody that checks these coaches too, yes. to say, you know, I, you know, we all agree this is, this is what we believe is the best in terms mm-hmm. of our behavior and how we coach our kids. And so if you don't do that, I'm going to let you know that just ahead of time, you know, mm-hmm. I um, think it's a good relationship for a coach to have that with somebody who's going to sit on the bench with them, somebody mm-hmm. who's going to be in the game with them. I remember my high school coach, <laughs> she had, she was pretty emotional and uh, she was never verbally or emotionally abusive with us. She was pretty appropriate in her expression of her frustration and disappointment, but th- her assistant coach knew her very well. And every now and then you would see the assistant coach just kind of my head coach would stand up and my assistant coach knew when she was standing up when she was about to lose her shit versus when she was standing up and she was just going to, you know, rant a little bit. My assistant coach would just slowly like reach up, grab her shirt and pull. (laughs) And the head 
coach, they must've had this agreement because the head coach then would just slowly sit down <laughs> because she's like, okay, obviously my assistant coach knows better than me at this point because I have lost my shit. And she did. She sat down. That was a really good relationship between coach and assistant coach and somebody to just check them in the moment. And then to respectfully, you know, take that feedback and follow through. Mm-hmm. And as the, as the kid, when you, when your coach loses your shit, I mean, let's go back to us being the, you know, the athlete and having that happen to us, especially as a child, you know, even in high school there, man, it's dejecting, you know, mm-hmm. especially when the the coach is not only just losing their shit, but, and I know this from basketball, you're getting yanked out of the game. You're told yeah. to go sit your ass down at the other end of the bench and maybe they don't even look at you and you're sitting there just, you know, lost, you know, mm-hmm. upset with yourself or upset of like, the hell's going on. Like, I feel like this is an overreaction to what just happened out there. I mean, you've got your own processing that you're doing and, and, and stuff. So then mm-hmm. it, it leads us into, um, now you've got a kid that wants to play the sport, but is starting to lose some love and passion for it. Or more importantly, not every kid performs under pressure. You know, there's right. some people that like rise to the challenge. And then I was not that person, you know, mm-hmm. um, get myself super frustrated out there. And I suddenly just didn't light up the scoreboard. You know, in mm-hmm. fact, you know, like you said, sometimes you foul uh, or you just don't do anything or I was a thinker on the basketball mm-hmm. court. So sometimes I could be really fluid and just move, you know, naturally. And then sometimes I thought way too much about what the play was going to do, how it was going to materialize that I just kind of froze, mm-hmm. you know, or I didn't, you know, didn't respond as much. So let's say you've got a kid who's like, I really want to play the sport, but I'm having some difficulties rising to the occasion and, and dealing with what I need to deal with you know, and to be the best player. That's where it's like, maybe what we're building off of is their frustrating sports career and, but they want to keep going on. How do you work with, you know, a a college athlete or a high school athlete to, you know, heal their wound, (laughs) maybe some trauma that they have there, um, get them the fun out of it that they want to do. I mean, what does that look like? What does that relationship look like? Right. Well, first of all, I like to do a a pretty thorough background. I want to know like all the sports injuries that have happened. I want to know about all the coaches that this particular student athlete has had in the relationship with the coaches and then where the parents stand, you know, are the parents uh, involved in the sports? Are they married? Are they divorced? What is the relationship like with the parents? I want to know those things. And then I want to meet with that athlete and I want to know what they want. I want to know, do you like the sport? Do you love the sport? Do you have fun? I want to know everything I can about that. And, and once I get all of that information, then it's easier to suss out like what is affecting, what's traumatizing this kid? What's, what's, what's eating at him? And sometimes it's just a matter of, I love this sport so much that I, I can't imagine not playing in college, but I'm a junior and I might only have two more years of playing this sport. And they're putting so much pressure on themselves that their performance is, is falling, but they've got great support. They've got great parents, great coaching, all of that. So that could be the issue or it could be, you know, parents are going through a divorce and the student athlete just doesn't feel the love of the game anymore, or they're distracted by their parents' divorce. You know, I think it's really important in these situations that people consider coaches and parents consider that it might not necessarily be the sport itself that's affecting the student athlete's performance, but it's something in their brain. Something is, is happening. It could be uh, falling off the bike when they were trying to put training wheels on at five years old that suddenly is coming up for them and they're having sports performance issues. 
I remember when I was um, learning about some sports performance while doing brain spotting therapy, David Graham, the creator of brain spotting, had worked with this catcher. I forget his name, but he had the yips so bad that he, he couldn't play. He couldn't throw the ball back to the pitcher at all. They pulled him, and he had an amazing career as a professional athlete. And so he ended up losing his career because he couldn't get over the yips. And he went to every like high-level psychologist, sports psychologist they could find. And when David Grant started working with him and was doing brain spotting with him, he actually found out that you know he had the yips because of some sports trauma that he had way back when he was like a little kid. And that's why he couldn't throw the ball back to the pitcher. And so after some recovery, he was able to do it, but you never know what's going on with a, with an athlete. So it's really good to, you know, take them to somebody who understands a little bit about sports coaching from the mental health, mental aspect of it and have them do a thorough background, have them do an, you know, an assessment and see what they think is going on because it might not have anything to do with coaching parents, the game, uh, an injury, it might not have anything to do with that. It could be something totally different. But if you continue pursuing it as if it's an injury or a parent or a coach, that's not going to help. Right. It might get worse. Right. So how does somebody um, get more information about working with you if they're wanting to get their student athlete or themselves involved in getting some mental wellness and, and sports uh, psychology happening? Yeah, on my website, which I'm sure you're going to put with a description for mm -hmm. this podcast, uh, psychotherapist.com, that's psycho with a K, therapist.com. There's uh, information on there about sports coaching that I do, uh, about just how to train your brain, how to improve performance. And I'm not the only one in the country or the world that does this either. So there might be somebody, if you're listening, you're far away and you're like, well, you know, I mean, I can help you over the phone. But if you're far away and you want to see somebody in person, there's probably somebody in your area that can do that. Mm -hmm. Well, Jax, that was fun. I so I always love talking to you because I know that we can get right to it and it's going to be unvarnished in everything that we have to say. <laughs> and so I appreciate you for that. And it was great talking to you again about this topic. It's uh, important to me and I know it's passionate for you. So thank you so much for today. Well, thank you. I enjoyed it. Cool. Thank you for listening to One Broken Mom. You can find podcast notes on my website at amiquirconi.com. And there I'll provide all links to all of the resources that we mentioned on the episode. Also, if you have any questions, comments, or ideas for other episodes, feel free to send me an email. And if you are interested in sponsoring the show, I'd love to have you be a part of the team. Finally, if you like what you hear, please share the podcast and leave a review so that others can find it. We are all here to get better together. I am the host, Ami Kurakoni, and as always, I am super grateful to have you as a listener. Until next time, have a great day.